0: Welcome to another episode of Down Ballot Counts. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government. And with me, as always, is senior reporter Greg Giroux. It's Monday, August 31st. We're about two months from Election Day, but primary season isn't over yet. In fact, we have the Democratic race of the season tomorrow in Massachusetts. So we'll talk with a top Democratic consultant in the state, Mary Ann Marsh, about the race between Senator Ed Markey and Congressman Joe Kennedy, the political scion as well as a pair of notable House races. Then we'll hear a couple of closing ads in that Senate race. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted.
1: Number of other key down-ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look.
2: House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation.
0: From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. But up first is Jerome's gem.
2: De Rose Gem my number of the week is 65%. That's the national self-response rate for the 2020 US census. That number is in line with previous censuses but still leaves tens of millions of households and people for Census Bureau enumerators to tally an ongoing task that's been complicated by the pandemic. An accurate count is vital because the once per decade population figures govern the reapportionment of US House seats as well as the distribution of hundreds of billions of dollars in federal aid among the states and localities. Among the 50 states and D.C., the highest response rate was reported by Minnesota at 74 percent, followed by Wisconsin and Washington state at 71 percent. All three states, not surprisingly, also have high rates of voter participation. Stephen Dillingham, the Census Bureau director, said Friday that more than 80 percent of households had been tallied and that the Bureau had about 250,000 census takers on the ground with more to start soon. But even with all those people, think about the gargantuan task of counting more than 330 million people across 3.5 million square miles as accurately as possible. There are concerns of a possible undercount, particularly among harder-to-reach populations like non-citizens and some racial and ethnic minorities. The Bureau must finish its counting by September the 30th. So, 65%, the current
0: national self-response rate for the 2020 census, that's your Giroux's Gem of the Week. All right, cheers to Minnesota. And up next, we'll bring on Marianne Marsh. This is Bloomberg Governments. Down ballot counts. Joining us now is Marianne Marsh, a principal at the Dewey Square Group in Boston who, to name only a couple of her resume lines, has held senior roles on campaigns of John Kerry and Ted Kennedy. Marianne, thanks for coming on Down Ballot Counts.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, so there's a few Massachusetts primaries we want to talk about today, uh, but let's start with the main event. Um, Most of the polls or all the polls I think are showing Ed Markey um, the ultimate waited his turn senator after serving in the House for nearly four decades, uh, holding leads over Joe Kennedy, the four term congressman who thought his time was now. Um, How do you see the race from your vantage point?
1: So there are four interesting factors that complicate this uh, election tomorrow, which has been going on for a while now with early voting. One, first and foremost, obviously the pandemic. Uh, Second, we are having our very first primary before Labor Day ever. So there's no baseline or benchmark uh, that anyone can use to say what that means. Um, Add to it our new vote by mail uh, law, which only was passed in July. It is a four step process that frankly, Um, I think disenfranchises voters of color and lower income voters because uh, Secretary Galvin, Secretary of State here, sent out an application. You have to then return that, fill it out and return the application. Then they send out a ballot to you. You have to fill out the ballot and send it back. And this is before the post office was under assault and it's under assault here in Massachusetts. So it's um, certainly something that if you're a white college educated suburban voter, you have the time and resources to do it. Um, but I think other voters, it's a challenge. And when you look at the census uh, return fact, uh, figures here, I think that will bear that out. So um, to me, we don't have any polling. We don't have any benchmarks. No one knows, really. It's like flying a plane in fog without instruments. And I really took my cues from those last two debates, and especially the fifth debate, which was now um, about two weeks ago. Uh, Joe Kennedy in that debate was playing to win and looked like somebody who had ground to make up. Ed Markey was trying to preserve a win and for the most part was looking not to make any mistakes. And in the wake of that debate, Joe Kennedy has barnstormed the state from end to end multiple times, campaigning nonstop at one point for 26 hours. So I think that reinforced the belief that Joe Kennedy thinks he's behind. And Ed Markey has run a, a more subdued, careful, cautious campaign, a little bit under the radar uh, ever since.
0: So, you know, I think hundreds of thousands of people have already voted. Um, Markey seems to have pulled in kind of the, a, a lot of Bernie and Warren voters. What, what's the voting coalition need to look like for Kennedy to pull off a, a win?
1: So about about seven hundred thousand people have voted by mail thus far um, as of Friday. So we'll we'll see what that tops out at. I expect we would have a turnout around a million, two, three, four, somewhere in there. Um, so for we know that Ed Markey's coalition, to your point, is the Bernie Warren, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez Sunrise Movement Justice Democrats coalition that he put together in a remarkable makeover of Ed Markey. <laughs> um, largely white suburban voters, as we talked about. For Joe Kennedy, it has to be voters of color, um, lower income voters, urban voters um, across Massachusetts, labor in particular as well. And that's why I noted the vote by mail uh, program, because I do think that could be the a determining factor in the outcome.
0: So if, if let's say Kennedy does lose, um... Uh, but given all these factors, are, are you going to be taking anything away from this race? Um, like, what what does this say about the Kennedy name in Massachusetts or about just the state of Democratic primary politics? Or are there just too many variables going on this year um, to take any broad conclusions?
1: Um, I think there are a lot of variables. And again, we don't have a benchmark for this race in any way, shape or form. But to me, the most remarkable thing is the remarkable makeover of Ed Markey. Um, and without... Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, I believe it would have been impossible. Um, Markey became the darling of the climate change, you know, warriors in many respects. And without her imprimatur, I don't think he would have been able to make the transformation he's made. Um, And to many people in Massachusetts, you know, Ed Markey, 74 years old, has served in Congress for 44 years He is unrecognizable to most people who've been around here for some time, and that has made him sort of a hip cause celeb amongst activists across Massachusetts and across the country, frankly. So it's been that that has allowed him, it seems, to have a lead going into tomorrow when he had a double digit deficit at the outset of this race where Joe Kennedy in polls pre-pandemic routinely had a 12 or 14 point lead.
0: Amazing. Yeah, this race really has seemed like the, the backward upside down race.
2: I mean, with seemingly little that distinguishes their voting records, how have they distinguished themselves from one another and what was um like what what is the rationale that Kennedy offered for challenging Markey in the first place?
1: So to me, it, it while their positions on many issues were similar, I think it's more about the style that mattered and how they went about their job. Um, and how they do their job. Joe Kennedy argued, vociferously, that he was a roll his sleeves up, come back home, spend time with people, be with constituents all the time, and bring their stories, bring their problems with him to Washington, that he would then go there and tackle them as well, and then crisscross the country trying to elect Democrats not only to the House, which Nancy Pelosi noted in her endorsement of him helping her flipped the house to become speaker again, but he was also campaigning to, for Democratic senators around the country as well, to try to get more in the Senate. Um, Markey, on the other hand, it was well known in Massachusetts. So Ed Markey was rarely if ever in Massachusetts, rarely if ever at home. Um, the Globe did finally um, do a story about that because for many years, um, at least six, seven, uh, Markey wouldn't release his travel records. He finally released them. And it showed that he actually spent fewer nights in Massachusetts than Elizabeth Warren did when she was running for president, which came as even to those, myself included, who knew he was rarely here as a shock. And what he did instead was to lean into the fact that he's a legislator. He's always been a legislator. He went from the state house to the House of Representatives, then to the Senate, and really leaned on his legislative record, the bills he sponsored, the letters he signed, and all that. So the the Markey campaign really took his two weaknesses, his age and long service in Congress, and his infrequent appearances in Massachusetts, and turned them into assets. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, with her imprimatur on the climate change warriors, um, those are the three factors that you have to point to, to say that if Markey prevails tomorrow, um, that's why.
2: And what are some things that Kennedy has done to rally support among, as you mentioned, some voters, people of color, um, lower income voters, and urban voters.
1: So since Joe Kennedy's been in Congress, he not only spent time in his congressional district, which, well, as you know, the upper part of it is a pretty affluent, well-to-do part of of the district, including Brookline and Newton and places like that. The lower part, Taunton, Attleboro, um, Fall River Parts of New Bedford, um, are, are tough on their luck uh, and, and filled with hardworking, working class, blue collar, voters of color, immigrants, um, lower income voters in particular. But he'd also traveled around the state a lot as well. So he was well known in a lot of what's called here the gateway cities, urban areas that are beset by higher poverty rates, um, a number, you know, residents and voters of color, Um, lower income, and the the cities that always struggle even in the best of times. Uh, He has to knit together all of those communities across Massachusetts. So it's everything from Springfield to Pittsfield to Gardner and Fitchburg and Lowell and places like that um, to try to offset what uh, Ed Markey is going to have in the suburban areas of Massachusetts and the greater Boston area where the numbers are bigger and more people vote.
2: And uh, Tuesday's docket also includes a Democratic primary in the 1st District in Western Massachusetts, where you have Ways and Means Committee Chairman Richie Neal in Congress since 1989 against Holyoke Mayor Alex Morse, who's in his early 30s. Uh, What made that race one to watch as well?
1: Well, it's so, I mean, Richie Neal is in the toughest fight of his life, I think, Um, and certainly since he won that seat in Congress the first time. Uh, And in a presidential year, Massachusetts, as you know, turns out to vote in, in big, big numbers. Again, this was before the pre-Labor Day primary. But it, it, for people um, out there, it's almost the opposite of Markey Kennedy, which is Richie Neal's been in the House since the 1980s, and that's been too long while Ed Markey was there from the 70s. Um, Alex Morris started out strong, uh, seemed to fade in the middle a bit, and then came back um, strong after a bit of a scandal, obviously, that many have read about. Uh, But he seems to have been able to at least get by it enough to turn it against Richie Neal. So what's driving that race is very similar to the Marky Kennedy race. The difference is Marky Kennedy are pulling out all progressives in many, many ways. Um, Richie Neal, the more progressives, the less well he will do. But he's probably got Springfield, Holyoke, and Pittsfield for the win. And if he can put big margins together there as well... He should be able to offset Alex Morse, who will do very well in those hill towns where they're more progressive, southern Berkshire County, more progressive, but the numbers just don't add up overall. So Alex Morse has a lot of the Markey coalition. Um, Richie Neal has sort of a hybrid of both Kennedy and Markey. Uh, I think Richie Neal should prevail in this one, but he's certainly pulling out all the stops to make sure he does.
2: And in the fourth district, we have a seven-way Democratic primary for Joe Kennedy's seat, in a democratic district. As you noted, Marianne runs from some upper income Boston suburbs down south to Fall River. What should our listeners know about that primary?
1: Well, first of all, that's Joe Kennedy's old seat uh, that he holds now and, and um, just took a pass on, obviously, to run for the Senate. And and that, once again, it, the, the Kennedy-Markey race is driving the turnout across Massachusetts. And in a seven-way race, there's a whole lot that could happen there. But as of today, I would say the two front runners have to be Jake Auchincloss and Jesse Murmel. Auchincloss has had the most money in this race, had the early lead. Came, uh, the Globe endorsed him, but has come under a lot of criticism for the fact that he was a Republican, which is not helpful in a Democratic primary, and took positions in terms of um, defending the Confederate flag, defending Steve Bannon, things like that, that probably in a Democratic primary may not help him, Jessie Mermel, longtime activist, well-known in Democratic circles, got, has gotten the line shares of endorsements, especially with those unions who have the real boots on the ground, door-to-door, get-people-out um, endorsements. She's been competitive financially and on TV, but was one of the last to go up. So those are the two I'm watching. And I have to say, going into the home stretch with two of the candidates dropping out to make it a field of seven, they both endorse Mermel. She seems to have the momentum going into tomorrow.
2: You mentioned that Massachusetts has never had a a, a pre-Labor Day primary. I'm kind of fascinated by that history. Could you talk a little bit more about that, like why Massachusetts has always had a late primary?
1: So Massachusetts had been a bastion of Democratic politics for so many years, and Democrats always controlled everything, every office, every chamber, every congressional state, everything. And because of that, they always liked a short primary, a short general election. So they liked later primaries and then a short general election because if you won the primary, you won the general election. So we routinely have had a six-week primary for as long as I can remember. Um, it, now, what we've never had is a pre-Labor Day primary. Um, and that is something we've never had here. Yes, the pandemic certainly affected it as well, but even pre-pandemic, um, It it was a concern for everybody because of school schedules. It was changed also uh, several Jewish holidays coming up. Uh, We've never had that. And so to have what is the equivalent of an end of August primary in Massachusetts has never been done, we have no benchmark for it, just like we have no benchmark for the pandemic, the vote by mail program, and other factors. So when you talk about the polls and you talk about data and boat goals and all of that everyone's made it up and i don't think anyone knows whether they're right or not but we're about to find out
0: i can't wait all right we'll have to leave it there <laughs> marianne thank you so much for joining us today you can, everyone can follow her on twitter at marianne marsh marianne thank you
1: thanks so much guys for having me really appreciate it a lot of fun
0: up next we'll listen to a pair of closing tv ads in the massachusetts senate primary
2: I support Joe
0: Kennedy, the Senate. He has been a lifesaver for many families. Congressman Kennedy spent a great deal
1: of time, with me. He understood my plight as a father. I could feel his empathy towards us, that he wanted to do all that he could to help us.
2: The fight for racial equity is in his blood. That's why I'm with Joe. Joe genuinely cares about LGBTQ youth. He knows that to achieve progressive change, you must be on the front lines. Now is not the time for ordinary leadership.
0: That was an ad from Joe Kennedy. It features speaker Nancy Pelosi, whose line about needing to be on the front lines to achieve progressive change plays right into the generational contrast Kennedy has sometimes subtly, sometimes not so subtly made, that it's time for some new energy and the other guy has simply been around too long. Greg, what'd you hear?
2: Several things here, Kyle. It features a Massachusetts man who says Kennedy spent a great deal of time with him. This is a father of children who were kidnapped to Egypt Kennedy was involved in this case and said Markey was not. There's a woman who says she felt Kennedy's empathy toward her. She's a mother of a young black man shot to death a decade ago by a police officer who didn't face criminal charges. This, too, became an issue in the primaries, Kennedy said. He did everything he could to help the family and Markey didn't. You have the African-American mayor of Framingham, Yvonne Spicer, touting Kennedy's commitment to racial equity. Kennedy's grandfather, Robert F. Kennedy, was popular with Black and Hispanic voters, and Joe Kennedy, too, is seeking their votes, as he says, the, the, the fight for racial uh, equality is in his blood. And finally, as you mentioned, you may have heard the familiar voice of Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker and one of Kennedy's most prominent backers. So there are a lot of Kennedy testimonials in this spot, Kyle. I'm a better teacher than I was
1: when I started.
0: I've been helping deliver the mail for the past 32 years. I'm glad I have the experience for times like these.
1: Joe Kennedy's a good guy, but we already have a senator who's getting the job done.
2: No one works harder for cities and towns across Massachusetts than Ed Markey. And Ed Markey has always fought for what's right.
1: We need Ed Markey in the Senate now more than ever.
2: I'm sticking with Ed. I'm sticking with Ed.
0: I'm sticking with Ed. I'm sticking with Ed. I'm I'm Ed Markey, and I approve this message. All right, and that was an ad from Senator Ed Markey. Joe Kennedy's a good guy, but we already have a senator who is getting the job done. I mean, that's pretty much the point, isn't it, Greg? Yeah, that
2: basically is supposed to poke the, uh, a hole in the ra- in Kennedy's rationale for running with that uh, statement. By, that's by a Massachusetts state representative who's supporting Ed Markey. The beginning of the ad shows a 21-year teacher a 32-year postal worker, and a 36-year nurse all promoting Markey, the clear implication being that long experience like Markey's is a plus and not a minus. And you also hear from another familiar voice, Elizabeth Warren, saying we need Ed Markey in the Senate now more than er ever. And the ad also notes an endorsement from the Boston Globe editorial page, which is something that you'd expect a Democratic candidate with that imprimatur to highlight in a Democratic primary
0: like this. Now, before we close the show, we've got a parting shot of trivia for you. This is Down Ballot Counts.
2: It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each week, I try to stump Kyle and you, our listeners, with a political trivia question. Let's first review last week's question and answer. And I asked, in what year was Ed Markey first elected to Congress? And on a Bloomberg government Twitter poll, we gave you the choices of 1974, 1976, and
0: 1978, and 1980. Kyle, what say you? I'm pretty sure he was not in the Watergate class of 74. I think he's the Bicentennial class of 76.
2: Correct. The Bicentennial class of 1976. Ed Markey was first elected to the House that year when he was just 30 years old, served in the House until 2013 when he uh, won a special election to the U.S. Senate and is seeking a, a second full term to that chamber beginning in that primary on Tuesday. And now for this week's question. Let's stay in Massachusetts. We've talked about the Primary Tuesday for Ways and Means Committee Chairman Richard Neal in the 1st District of Massachusetts. My question is, who was the last Democrat prior to Richard Neal to serve as chairman of the Ways and Means Committee? You may email your answer to bgovpodcast at bgov.com or tweet it at us using the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at bgov and use the hashtag downballotpod. We will post this question as a Twitter poll as well with four choices, I will give the answer and ask a new question on the next episode of Down Ballot Counts. All right. That's it for us today. Before we go, Greg, what else are you watching this week? Well, Kyle, we've discussed that big Massachusetts primary on Tuesday. The top-billed race, of course, is the big Senate race between Ed Markey and Joe Kennedy. We've got that first district race with Richie Neal and Alex Morse, as well as that open seat primary in the fourth district that Kennedy is leaving open to run for the Senate. After that, just four states left to hold primaries. New Hampshire and Rhode Island on September the 8th, Delaware on September the 15th, and Louisiana, which holds its blanket primary on the national election day, November the 3rd. So the general election campaign has basically begun in earnest.
0: I'll note here that Michael Bloomberg, the majority owner of Bloomberg Government's parent company, sought the Democratic presidential nomination. He endorsed Joe Biden on March 4th. Down Ballot Counts was produced by David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstad and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg Government's website, about.bgov.com. We'll talk to you in two weeks. When
2: it comes to the environment, there are, let's say, a lot of moving parts. Climate
0: change, air pollution, water pollution, chemical contamination, endangered species, renewable energy, superfund, asbestos, recycling, lead, mold, radon, stormwater.
2: That's where Parts Per Billion comes in. Join me, David Schultz, on the Parts Per Billion podcast every Wednesday to sort out everything that's going on in the environment from the courts to Congress to your backyard. Download and subscribe to Parts Per Billion wherever you get your
1: podcasts. And thanks for listening.